Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there for Duffy and Brett Beer is hurt now. Oh, Duffy goes Duffy out cold. Brett Beer does it again. Rock'em sock'em robots here. Oh my goodness. I believe they're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Dude, when I get that Ken Flo fight commentary in my cans, it just sets the whole tone for the goddamn show, kid. We all want <laughs> you back, buddy. It's Monday, May 18th. It's episode 250 of the Woo! Anakin Florian podcast. I told my wife it was episode 250. She's like, man, seems like you just started that thing like a few days ago. We're five years <laughs> in, honey. But uh, it's good to see you, buddy. It's good to be back in uh, in South Florida. What a week for the MMA leader, huh? Three shows, no problem, huh? Dude, dude, I can't even keep track. You're talking about 250 episodes. It seems like UFC 249 was like a month ago somehow. I, I, I don't know. It, it's really weird. This whole quarantine thing, it's really hard to keep track. I can't tell if time is moving faster, slower. I don't know. I'm confused. Yeah, the podcast allows us to remember that it is Monday and certainly having a UFC live event on back-to-back Saturdays helped a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, how, how are you doing overall? I mean, you got to be 60-plus, 70 days in here, kid. It's wild, dude. It's <laughs> raining here today. I do a lot of walks. Uh, yeah. so I just I know the neighborhood inside and out now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you like uh, my Anakin Florian podcast sweatshirt, by the way? I'm wearing Dude, the hoodie today. It's so, uh, so sick. I, I The stuff that I've been getting from us, obviously, we got a bunch of stuff. 
Uh, it's so comfortable. It fits great. I've been wearing it pretty much every day. I think it's all being washed now, so I got another T-shirt. But uh, yeah, yeah. I love it. My, my daughter's been rocking her Anakin Florian little, little pink T-shirt. She's yeah. loving that thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I bought a large sweatshirt because I like it to be a little bit big, but, uh, yeah. you know, dried it and it maintains the size. You know, you got the Anakin Florian podcast monogram on the back if you want to take a oh, fucking yeah. look at that. I'll fucking turn around on video. I'll fucking turn around. <laughs> look at the good. Sit back down. So uh, we had a lot of people call our voicemail line over the weekend. 857-301-8994 is the number if you do want to chime in on the show. And, uh the millionaire maker Cody Merrow just continues to uh, churn through those. So if you do want to call, it's 857-301-8994. But you heard a lot of us talking about the broadcast and some of the challenges and the fighters hearing it and everything else. But big picture, a lot of us felt pretty good to get UFC 249 in the can and then to get another show done. And now, of course, everybody has left. Remarkable that probably 600-plus COVID-19 nasal swabs were administered and only three people tested positive uh and nobody got sick right jacare and his two training partners it's not uh on great authority but i think i'm pretty convicted in saying they were all asymptomatic right so everybody came in nobody got sick largely the shows went off can't say that uh they were all without a hitch but one of our broadcast partners laura sanko did leave uh, a very heartfelt voicemail after ufc 249 and candidly waking up and hearing this sort of put me in a good place because there were a lot of uh hurdles and variables so uh i want to get that audio out there tj do we have that sanko voicemail oh i don't have it i can look okay, for it you don't have it all no. right that's okay i thought we were going to leave the show with it today that's okay you don't have to look for it maybe we can get to it later in the show but there was one narrative that was out there the fighters hearing us kenny and i wanted to get your thoughts on this because i think there are a lot of angles to cornering in an environment like this there are parallels to be drawn. Dana White's contender series, the ultimate fighter. I do think yep. those are louder fight atmospheres, especially the ultimate fighter back in the day when you got teammates and coaches screaming, maybe hard to pick up corner audio. But Kenny, the fighters were hearing almost our every word and some probably ingesting it more than others. But at one point we were talking about Ricky Simone's physique and the dude starts flexing <laughs> in response to the commentary. So I, I was curious what you thought of that whole dynamic and that backdrop to these last three shows. Awkward. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say you guys have uh, just did an amazing job um, all, all week. Everybody involved in the UFC machine. They're, they're just beasts. I mean, um, the amount of work and effort that goes into producing each and every show and having to do it under these circumstances with all the testing and all that stuff. Uh, kudos to the whole UFC team. It's amazing what they've what they were able to accomplish and, and yourself included, obviously, in that. Um, you know, it, it it definitely was like the early ultimate fighters where, you know, now you kind of have a little bit of a crowd there. Right. Uh, when we were competing, it was literally just the team. So you hear everything like when the fighters are fighting, you hear them breathing, you know, everything that we say on the sidelines, they could hear, right. you know, so it, it's a totally different dynamic. And I, I must imagine, you know, for you guys, it, it must be a little bit awkward because they can hear everything you're saying. And now you're kind of like, wait, wait a sec. Am I giving him an advantage by saying what I'm saying? Right. Um, you know, do, do, am I going to insult these guys? Are they going right. to feel insulted while they're competing? It must be a very difficult dynamic for, for you guys, the commentators, because now you're either holding back or you're afraid to say something or you are saying something that's helping or hurting a guy. I mean, it, it, it's something that we're so not used to because that place is just jam-packed with people. There's a ton of cheering. 
Um, that that's the last thing on your mind. But now it seems like every time you open your mouth, you're thinking like, oh, are they gonna hear me? I, I mean that that must be so weird, man. Yeah, I mean the real the real hard one for me. I think Ben Rothwell landed a shot on Ovin St. Prue, and I was hearing it in the arena, almost mm. bouncing off the walls as I called wow. out that strike. And then it looked like St. Prue maybe looked over. I don't know if he was intimating that dude like. That really didn't, didn't have much sting. It looked a right. lot fucking worse than it was, John Anik, you know. Um, but, you know, if you saw me on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt, this will be repetitive. But I did try to be more measured on Wednesday, Kenny, having gone mm. through the experience on mm -hmm. Saturday. But the OSP fight was on Wednesday. And when something big happens, we have a job to do. The cans sure. tunnel you in, as I've said repeatedly. But it's just a weird part of things. And, you know, Daniel Cormier is basically saying that James Krause is overcoaching, right, in that Anthony Smith fight. And obviously we're going to spend a lot of time talking about about the Anthony Smith Glover to share a fight. John Hackleman going to join us. Aljamain Sterling coming up later today uh, or scheduled to. Um, but there are a lot of different parts to this Anthony Smith equation. Um, but the overcoaching is something I know James Krause takes great exception to that. And he's not going to change the way he coaches because his athlete can hear the commentary. Um, but I do wonder if coaches will at least pivot or adjust knowing that there's nothing to filter out what's coming out of the corner. So some of these coaches are wall-to-wall. -wall, some of them are not, Kenny. But I think for the wall-to-wall -wall coaches, you know, it's, a, it's an athlete-by-athlete, athlete, right? You take it on right. a case-by-case -case basis. But to me, like, I do believe, like, man, is it a lot for them to hear when there's nothing to filter out the corner audio if you're going wall-to-wall. You know. it's, it certainly is. I mean, listen, I had Keith Florian yelling uh, right, instructions right. in the corner. Uh, he, he certainly wasn't as active, but when he when he screamed, you could definitely hear him. Um, listen, I, I think there's something to be said for, you know, overcoaching. I, I thought Daniel Cormier was pretty spot on there. And James Krause, obviously a, a very experienced um, fighter himself and, and has coached a lot of uh, guys to victories, you know, um, in regional promotions and in the UFC. But I don't know, man. If you got to coach your your uh, guy through every single exchange, I don't know if they're prepared. Right. I think that's a lot to take in. Um, I think it makes the situation a little bit more stressful. Um, it's more pressure on their shoulders. It doesn't allow the fighter to feel the fight through. Now he feels like he's got to do everything that his coach says. He can't, you know. And I, I think Daniel was pretty spot on in regards to the activity level of Anthony Smith. I, I don't think Anthony Smith needed to be that busy, especially coming off a right. camp where he probably didn't get all the work that he normally gets in. I mean, right. for a five round fight, the activity that he had in those early rounds was just way too much. And the pacing was just insane. And I think it did have a lot to do with James Krause telling him to throw each and every combination out there every two seconds. Yeah. Anthony Smith did have part of his training camp compromised. He did say he peaked pretty well for this fight, all things considered, but uh, had to have Mark Montoya and James Krause come to Nebraska. And I promise me, I promise you when we talk to Hackleman and Longo, we will get into all the details of the stoppage. But uh, I do think it's an interesting thing for coaches to have to think about if they do want to maybe tweak it. I talked to Longo off the air today, and I think he thinks it's pretty interesting to think about, you know, trying to strategize a little bit differently, knowing that everybody can hear your goddamn every word. It's crazy. And crowd or no crowd, why do you even need to do that for a fighter? Well, right, right. You know what I mean? It's like, are you trying to control every single exchange that right. takes place out there? Right. You got to right. let your fighter fight. And, and I get it, you know, and Keith and I would have issues and as far as cornermen and things like that. You got to understand your fighter. You got, you got to understand what works for them. Maybe that's something that's that worked for Anthony in the past and 
it just didn't pan out this time around. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know the inside information on that. But you shouldn't have to do that for a fighter, whether the crowd is present or not. Right. I agree. Well put. And it's crazy, the output from Anthony Lionheart-Smith early on. Our stats went down for just the red corner. Mm. So early on, we couldn't bring those numbers up, but they were historically high Dude. for Anthony Smith. And you're right. Knowing that 25 minutes potentially was ahead of him, uh, not the great, the greatest strategy in the world for sure. And, and, and he looked extremely technical. That was the sharpest great. And, and best I've ever seen Anthony Smith. I said, this guy's going to run away with it. He was completely outclassing uh, uh, Tishera throughout that you know first yeah. and, and maybe majority of the second round. He ran into a Glover Teixeira that entered at 40 years old in the best shape of his life, or wow. at least that's what it looked like for me. Yes. And, and as hard as he had to work to finally get Anthony Smith out of there, uh, he was going to be willing to work. Uh, Ian Parker in about 60 s seconds, but this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra. Agra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, no awkwardness, and you don't have to leave the house. So right now, we got a special deal for our list. You visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MMA. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code MMA to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Anakin Florian podcast. And remember, when you support your sponsors, you help make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use our promo code MMA at BlueChew.com. All right. Ian Parker now joins us live from Parkland, Florida. My man, I wish we had a 60-second ticker for the bottom corner today because there's a million things I want to talk to you about. Looking pretty lean and mean. You've been swimming those laps or something. No, it's just really good angles with this new uh, huh. stand I got. I, I tried oh. to it from, like, the upper – yeah, I got this stand that it makes the dad bod, like, it kind of tightens you up, like, huh. from here down. Yeah. So, like, if you saw the side view, you'd be like, wow, what the fuck's he been doing for the last, you know, X amount of days? And – uh you know, a lot of laps in the spa, you know, just I, therefore, therefore it really keeps my cardio intact. Um, yeah. You know, everyone wants to see me and Kenny in this submission match. So I started training this training <laughs> this morning. But no, we don't. We don't. Ha, we don't. I don't. It, they do. I definitely don't. <laughs> it's like me when I do the pod. I'm flexing for about an hour and a half. Just yeah. like. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm more of like a Triple H lax guy. I try to like, extend. <laughs> well, you know, so. So if you're in quarantine with children and you're listening, maybe want to fast forward 30 seconds because the language will be foul. But like people don't understand. I'm going to look right into the camera like Ken Flo's a motherfucker. Like he'll kill motherfucker. Like if he has to and he's in a competitive setting, like fun and games, no more. So, all right, I'll clean it up a little bit. So, Ian, uh, it's good to see a lot of things to get to. I mean, it does look like a higher definition on your camera. So we certainly appreciate that. So it was a forgettable week in my mind for refereeing, for judging. I think it really shined a spotlight on that part of our sport. And the buzzword for me is inconsistency. So I just want to start with you guys there. I think there are some great referees. It's a very difficult job. I think even in a fight, 
uh, like Walt Harris, Alistair Overeem, that Dan Mergliata officiated. There was so much good in there that he didn't stop the fight early, but yet yet I think there's criticism to be levied for what he did late in that fight. So uh, that was my biggest takeaway, Ian. I just feel like we don't have consistent officiating and we don't have consistent judging. Yeah, you kind of hit it on the head there. It's so hard because, you know, you got guys like Anthony Smith that want to stay in there forever and people are saying throwing the towel early. And then you got situations where what if Overeem was stopped early? You know, to your point, that's really the best point. I mean, Alistair Overeem took a lot of shots, but you saw him kept trying to get up to Dominic Cruz's point. You right. know, not that I'm, you know, not that I speak bad on Keith Peterson. I, lo- I love Keith. Um, he doesn't love me, but you know, it's, it's a, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just, it's so hard when you're in that cage and you have to make that split second decision. And you could tell, and I know we spoke about this earlier and I'll be very quick. Jason Herzog during the Brown and Miguel Baeza match, when Miguel got dropped, you know, he jumped in and then he pulled back and he was kind of like bouncing back and forth because he didn't want he wanted to give this guy every opportunity. And I think a lot of these referees are going to really be careful with the way they jump in too quick. The judging's a whole different story. That shit was a fucking right. mess from right. head to toe. So, Kenny, as far as the referees are concerned, let's go to Anthony Smith and Glover to share. I talked to Jason Herzog after the fight and he said, I just I couldn't find that right window to get in there. After having some time to reflect, he put out a statement and said, if there's anybody to blame for the lack of a stoppage or the fight being extended longer than maybe the average man thinks it should have. Jason Herzog fell on the sword for that and said, I'm the one to blame. I don't know if he's taken one for the team there. Anthony Smith called that tweet cowardly on the part of Jason Herzog, which I didn't love from Anthony Smith, candidly. Where do you fall on on the referee in that particular fight? I hate to put you on the spot, but, uh, you know, I think we all have some pretty strong opinions on this. Yeah, listen, I got to say, first of all, when have we ever seen a referee, um, you know, or or a judge for that matter, go out and say, hey, I made a mistake here. Um, I, I thought that was really classy on the part of Jason Herzog. Now, um, as I was watching that fight and, and, you know, maybe it's because I, you know, I picked Anthony Smith, but, you know, I, I thought that, yeah, Anthony Smith was working at the time. Every single time that I was thinking like, oh, Jason's going to jump in here. Anthony would like throw a little short elbow or he'd like turn back to guard or he'd like try to work for a Kimura or try to get back up. So I kind of saw that a little bit. I certainly, he was taking a lot of damage, um, for me, I, I think the fault lied more with the corner of Anthony Smith. Okay, um, you know, and I don't know if you want to get into that now, but sure. for, for for me, I think that if you're seeing a fighter and he's you know dejected, you look at his eyes. He, he's coming back to the corner. My teeth are falling out. You know, I, I, I'm, he's he's getting the better of me out there, and you know your fighter. And you see the the kind of momentum of the fight kind of shift the other guy's way. I mean, Anthony Smith isn't the kind of guy that's going to, like, pull a submission out of his ass necessarily. And we've seen him come back right, in other right, fights. We've seen right. him get hurt and come back. But this was a completely different level against a, an other veteran fighter in Glover Teixeira who's been there and done that and knew how to control that fight and not lose that fight. Right. So when you see your guy is exhausted, he's getting beat up consistently, you save him. You go down, right. You got to go out there and save the fighter. Right. And I don't think the referee – I mean – I don't know. Yeah, the referee could have stopped that. Absolutely. But again, my fault lies with the corner, in my opinion. So 
I agree. No, if, if I am going to levy a bunch of blame or the majority of the blame, it is with the chief corner man, Mark Montoya. And I know there are some other instances that people have pointed to with his fighters in the past, Thomas Gifford, where maybe the leash was a little bit too long. I know Mark is probably going to stand by his decision, and that's okay. I would like him to come out and make a statement, um, but I, I respect his wishes to maybe not do that. I felt like Ian Anthony Smith's offense in round four was cosmetic. I mean, you know, those look like my punches on my best day, right? There was nothing behind those punches. It was just, you know, extending the toughness competition for me. So I felt like the corner had an opportunity to step in there. I feel like corner men like Mark Montoya, relatively high profile, have an opportunity to really affect change in our sport in these instances. You know, we've been barking on this fucking podcast for years about corner men not being willing to throw in the towel. And I hear from some fans who say, well, actually, they can't throw in the towel. Throw in the fucking towel and see if somebody doesn't stop the fight at that point in time, okay? And, you know, maybe there's a little fine or whatever. I'll pay the fucking fine, okay? So, Ian, for me, I feel like there was criticism to be levied. I have so much respect for Mark and James and the Nebraska guys in that corner. Um, but I think they need to have a conversation at the very least after round four. Is the outcome an eventuality? Because Glover sure as shit ain't slowing down. Let's save our guy and maybe prolong his career. And I think Anthony and that entire team is really losing sight of that. Uh, yeah, and that last point that you had kind of just put a bow on the whole topic. I, I think in those situations, listen, Anthony Smith has been around for a long time. I think people don't know that because, you know, the strike force days, fighting at middleweight, you know, really hit his stride mainstream popularity-wise when he jumped to the 205 and beating some of these legends. But to your point, man, there's that saying, live to fight another day. And he's in a division where the depth is not there. He could turn around two fights and be back at the top in a similar contender fight. It takes so much unnecessary damage when, and to, and again, to Kenny's point, he's not tossing up a crazy submission on someone like Glover. You know, if that submission was coming, it would have came after he would have rocked Glover, jumped on his back and landed in a rear naked choke. You know what I'm saying? Something right when Kenny's shaking his head, yes, yeah. and not trying to chime in. That's the way that huh. I would have, that I thought that Anthony would have won the fight if it was by submission. You know, Glover even said to him during the fight, I'm sorry, it's part of the job. And Anthony's going, it is what it is. But, for Anthony, you know, and I love Anthony Smith, to call Herzog a coward for what he said, that's wrong, 100%. Yeah. I really felt that was so unnecessary, uncalled for. And I understand his frustration as a guy wanting to be known as a warrior, but at some point we got to, you know, yeah. say to ourselves, sorry, I know, it's, it's a hard topic, but, you know, I, I'm with you guys. That's, a, that's on the corner. They got to live to fight another day. I called Ken Flo. I was like, yo, would Keith have stopped that fight if you were getting <laughs> fucking beat on? Kenny's like, I think so. Right? Yeah. You didn't even know how to answer it because you're like, yeah. I'm not going to fucking get beat up like that. Come on. Right. <laughs> um, hey, TJ's got something on the towel, Ken Flo. TJ, what do you have? So there's a big misconception that you can't throw in the towel, which is true. You cannot throw in the towel. It's a safety issue. The referee may not see it. It floats right, in the air. Right, right, right. Um, uh, I did the post-fight show with Frank Trigg and asked him, uh, whether or not you can throw in the towel. And he said, no, physically you cannot, but there's an inspector in every corner. If you want to stop the fight as the uh, cornerman, you let the inspector know. He stands up, starts waving his arms to get another inspector's uh, attention. They will right. get the timekeeper's yeah. uh, attention and blow the horn and stop the fight. Yeah. Cool. So next time you're with Trig, just ask him how much the fine is. And unless it's crazy i'll pay the fine you know i mean i think the point remains the same you know nate diaz right has thrown in uh or nick diaz excuse me right has thrown in a towel correct mm -hmm. right tj yes. i mean that you know he did. it's like yeah. you can fucking jump over the fence if the fine isn't too prohibitive and stop your guy from further punishment i just would like to see us trend more in that direction and on the referees kenny i feel like the referees who allow fights to go long 
and allow maybe a courtesy shot or two, they're universally praised. And the guys who have a quick trigger and stop fights too early um, get, you know, raked over the fire. It's two things, I think, that are preventing people from giving up or, or you know, throwing in the towel, you know, uh, figuratively, I guess. Uh, and it's two things. One, it's pride. Okay. It's just ego. I don't want to see my fighter go out like that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, number two, um, it's inexperience. It's inexperience in this sport. You see it in boxing, right? Uh, and when you when you have a fighter out there who is getting outclassed and getting beat up, you know, for the coach, it's like an insult to them. Like, ah, oh, my guy's just getting his ass kicked. Who cares? Put the ego aside. You guys, it, it didn't work out that night. Okay, who cares? Stop the fight. Yeah. Because these are the kind of things that are going to get someone really, really hurt or killed in the future. Because you don't want to give up. Right. Oh, is that what we're waiting for? Oh, right. uh, yeah. My guy, my, my guy didn't give up, but he's fucking dead. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, but it really it pisses me off. And this is kind of what what's happening. If your guy is getting outclassed, it's OK to stop the fight. You didn't do your job. OK, live to fight another day, as Ian said. Like, it, it, it's just it, it's ridiculous. And I thought Factory X as a team kind of made matters worse, at least in terms of the public criticism, because they sort of went at the commentary team and said, hey, just so you know, it's his veneers, right? Here's the point on this, okay? If it was a tell from Anthony Smith that maybe he was getting his ass kicked and was looking for a way out, you know, that's what I think a lot of fans read into there. Maybe that was the case. I'm sure Anthony would say, no, it's just my bad veneers. But it was a microcosm, right? I Don't read into that, you know. It has nothing to do with the fact that he has a really bad dentist in Colorado or Nebraska, right, that did these veneers. It's that a lot of us felt like maybe at that point in time, the toughest man on the roster, one of them, might have been looking for a way out. And if that's not the case, then, uh, you know, so be it. But that's in what people read into. It was a, a big part of everything else, all this damage, teeth are falling out. What are we trying to gain here? You know, and I think Kenny would probably, get, as the fighter here, the most successful fighter here, could attest, there's a big difference between, you know, being down and being hurt and talking about in a fight. It's like the same guy that goes to his corner and says, I can't see after getting poked in the eye. You're drawing attention to the injury towards the inspector, towards the rep, towards the commission, especially if you don't want the fight to be stopped. We've seen a lot of guys that say, I can't see, or I'm hurting this, I'm hurting that. And, and they talk about it in their corner. Um, saying my teeth are falling out. I don't know how you can expect anyone to know that those were veneers, you know? Um, I mean, he's got a great set of teeth. I was going to say for a fighter, like, those are beautiful. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when you when he's sitting there holding onto a, another fighter's arm and, literally, you know, dropping them to Herzog made fight, how does that look good? I mean, like Randy Couture said it best when he got it knocked out by Machida. I went my whole career and I get knocked out of my last fight and I lose a fucking tooth. You know, it's just certain things don't need to happen. Listen, hockey players lose teeth. Fighters lose teeth. But if, when you're going to make it seem like it's coming out of your brain, you know, like it's an injury, not just right, like, oh, he right, punched me right. hard. That's when things kind of change. I just think the whole thing was an absolute mess. I don't think anyone who steps in the cage is a coward, period. Whether you go out on your shield or not. I mean, Kenny, have you ever tapped during a jujitsu practice? Right. Yeah, it happens. I've probably tapped Cush millions off. of times over the course no, of kidding. my career. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pussy. No, I'm kidding. No, that's, but that's because it's a, no, it's a learning thing. Like, why yeah. break your arm in practice? It doesn't mean that you're a lesser fighter. It's a learning thing. I just think for someone like Anthony Smith, he's got on the brain, tough guy. I'm a legend. I want to go out my own shield. And sometimes 
it doesn't make you look any better, you know? And I think guys have to be protected a little bit better in the sport. So uh, referees, generally speaking, are discouraged from coming out there publicly and talking about it. I mean, if you look at any other sport, NBA, you know, the referees aren't coming out and talking. I appreciate Jason coming out. But generally speaking, these guys are, are discouraged from doing so. And I think the only job that is harder than maybe MMA judging is probably MMA refereeing. So I do want to say that all of these guys who I am paid to criticize at times have my utmost respect. As far as the judges are concerned, Kenny, uh, overall, there were a, a lot of fights that a lot of people felt like could have gone either way. To me, I don't care about media scorecards as much as I care about verdict MMA and this global scorecard and what they are trying to do from a yeah. cons consolidation standpoint and amassing a bunch of scorecards. So this is the best platform for me for real-time judging right now. And at least as far as the few fights in question go, they had Cheeto Vera plus 0.92 over Song Yedong, Edson Barboza plus 0.54 over Danny Gay, and Angela Hill plus 0.31 over Claudia Gadelia. A lot of close fights this weekend, Kenny. I know you and I both thought Danny Gay won, having watched it a second time now. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it's just uh, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, I guess. Listen, I think all of those fights are relatively close. Um, yes. After going back and watching the Ige Barbosa fight, I thought it was pretty clear. You look at that fight, um, I thought Barbosa maybe won 30 to 45 seconds of round two. Uh, but other than that, I thought it was pretty clear. Uh, Barbosa won round one, Ige won round three. What was the, the round in dispute? Really, round two. Uh, going back and watch it, I'm that much more confident that Ige won that fight. Now, yeah. you look at even Barbosa after the fight. He kind of knew he won the fight. He was praying, hopefully, you know, hoping that he won the fight. After the decision was rendered, he was like, he just walked away like, man, nah, makes sense, I guess. I'm sure he was disappointed, but he, yeah. he just didn't win that fight. I'm sorry. But uh, the Claudia Gedalia fight, um, you know, I thought that was a very close fight. Certainly could have gone either way. I thought Claudia just edged it out. I thought she was a little busier. I thought that her um, shots were a little bit more impactful, and I thought it came back, uh, came down to that round three. So I thought Gedalia was landing the harder strikes uh, against Angie. So, uh, And then in regards to the Vera fight. Now, that I have a problem with. Marlon Vera won that fight. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what uh, the judges were, were, were watching there. Um, I thought it was clear that Vera was not only more active, but he was landing more. He was more effective. Um, Song, Song Yudong was given a gift. Okay. Uh, I won't say straight out robbery. It was a close ish fight because Song Yudong was hanging in there. He was some good exchanges back and forth, but man, Marlon Vera won that fight. I, that that's a shame. And I know Vera really worked hard. Both guys work hard, of course, for that fight, but Vera really needed that one. And, and that was tough to watch. Yeah, I agree with everything out of uh, Ken Flo's mouth there, Ian. I mean, Song Yudong certainly landed a lot of hard shots, but I really feel like Cheeto Vera's five-fight winning streak was taken away. I guess the only thing I would say to Cheeto in person, and Ian, I told you this over the phone this morning, I would say, you know, maybe you can't spend the first three and a half minutes trying to feel him out a little bit, because I do think he did give away round number one with sort of uh, that approach, but I thought he won rounds two and three and won the fight and should be W6 right now. And I know it's a lot to digest your thoughts. I mean, I had you dong in a parlay and when, I, <laughs> when the fight, when the fight, when the fight was over, I I went and placed like three more bets. Cause I'm like, I fucking lost. Um, and then I'm walking out of the bathroom. I'm like, wait, did you dong just get a unanimous <laughs> decision? I'm like, that's right. You dong, you get that. <laughs> 
Last card, he got me that draw on the parlay, saved my ass. This right, one. that's the, right. The, the, the no fucking win, win. When in doubt, take your dong. Um, this hit. Oh. Marlon Cheeto cannot do what he does every fight. Every fight he fights in the first round, if he doesn't get a knockout, he loses on the scorecards in round one. And we talked about this. Round two, the only thing that made me not question it. So Kenny, I know you're sitting back. I don't want you to come forward at me. Is that <laughs> Yadong was landing a lot? No, I think the harder shots, the jab was making Cheeto's head come back. But Cheeto was landing way more. I mean, it just. That third round was the most decisive round between rounds one and three with the takedowns working the top. And he he just was pressing the action more. I just I think sometimes Marlon sits on his bike too much in round one. For whatever reason, the feel out doesn't want to rush in, but that does suck. And on the pace scale, it hurts them. Um, yeah. I agree with you with Claudia. I thought Claudia just landed the more impactful shots in round three. But I will tell you, this is a win-win for Angie. Look who she just competed with, and people think she won. A year ago, no one's even thinking she beats right. bottom bottom part of the top twenty. So, to, <clears throat> to me, it showed the evolution of her game. She could still be the be the female cowboy Cerrone because she she dropped Claudia. Not many people have done that either. So good for her. Darren Elkins, in my opinion, was probably one of the more wrong guys on this card. I thought he won round three decisively. Won round one. It's too bad that he's got more scar tissue than the Diaz brothers combined. Yeah. You sneeze on him, and I'm he leaks you. like a he, he leaks like a faucet. You go watch round three; he landed way more, push forward. Um, and the Barboza Ige fight. Listen, people could robbery. You cannot call that fight robbery. Um, you can't. You know, and I just give so much credit to Ige going against a guy like this. Um, I didn't realize how big Ige really was for that division too. Uh, his combinations look good. I give him a lot of credit, man. This guy has talked a lot. And he's backed it up. I mean, not many guys bring that fight to Barboza, get dropped, get up, that flying knee off the cage after getting rocked. I mean, good for him, you know? Really good for him on this win. Yeah, man. And I thought, and I, I thought Barboza still looked very good at 45. You know, I was pleasantly surprised with him. Ige is no slouch. And, uh, again, more fresh blood in the division. But, man, these judges, fucking, I don't know what they're watching sometimes. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Kenny, did you watch the Elkins fight? Because if you did. I did. How did I, I, I get a 3027? That's more of my concern. You know? it, it, it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Yeah, it was a little mind boggling on that one. Um, and, it, you know, in, in regards to uh, Ige, yeah, I mean, listen, no Hawaiian is going to go away easily. You know, no, they're oh, not giving man. up. I mean, they are just tough as nails, man. So he represented uh, his state extremely well. He, he's definitely someone to watch uh, in the 145-pound division, which is just insane. Uh, and, and you look at what he accomplished against Barbosa, who did a lot of great things at 155. And, Ian, I agree with you. Angie, man, uh, she has improved leaps and bounds, man. It was great to see that kind of improvement. And uh, she's someone to watch in that division as well. I, I think a rematch, uh, I, I would lean towards uh, Angie's way. Uh, if yeah, we had a longer wrote, show. Oh. Go ahead, Ian. Well, that last I have to say, for Angie, I think she just showed if she can keep the fight standing, she could probably stand with the best of them, you know, and that's really where she's got to play into her strengths. If we didn't have so much on the plate, we could spend 15 minutes just talking about Dan Ige and Cheeto Vera and their individual evolution, right? Ige is shorter on UFC experience than Cheeto at this point, but Ken Flo, I mean, do you remember calling Cheeto's early fights? I mean, look where this kid yes. is right now. I know that this fight happened at 145 pounds, and there's a whole nother conversation we could have about some of these guys, given this global pandemic backdrop, competing up a weight class. I mean, look how good Cheeto Vera looked at 145 pounds, but I mean, this guy's a credentialed bantamweight. I mean, we didn't fancy him a contender back in the day. Look at fucking Cheeto now. Cheeto's huge for the division. This is a guy who clearly loves what he does. I mean, he's hit me up for questions on 
you know, how to do certain things. And, you know, he's training with some of the best guys in the world, you know, on the ground and the striking department, wrestling. He absolutely loves what he does. And you could see it in his passion. The improvement that he has made since we called his first fight, man, is absolutely insane. He's big for the division and he had some great momentum. That's why it was it hurt really to see him lose that decision. That was that was not a loss. So, Cheeto, keep your head up, man. All right, Ian, you've taken three of Ray Longo's 15 minutes. Anything on the way out before we let you fly, kid? <laughs> the, Ray, the Ray Longo 15-minute show. I like it. He, he deserves it. Um, look, uh, honestly, this was. I'm, I'm happy the UFC did this. It seems like everyone, John, you look healthy. I mean, you got a Trying. few nasal swabs. I'm glad they didn't turn you around and do it the other way. That would have been terrible for you. But, uh, yeah. you know, listen, great set of fights. I think a lot for a lot of people. Um. You know, like I said, sometimes in these losses, they re- they really win. Angie, I mean, she don't. I I forgot that fight was even at forty five. Nothing like fighting a forty five Yadong, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah. that doesn't get old. I'm gonna use that all the time. I know but, you. Um, I love him. Um, all right, Longo's gonna kill <laughs> you know, me. I love you, buddy. We'll uh, I'm out. we will uh, make some picks hopefully uh, next week, right? May twenty fifth. If there's a show, May thirtieth, we're making picks next week. So uh, and, and it's and it's only seventy four ninety nine for the uh, five fight card right now. So yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have a uh, a fight card in front of me. If that makes you feel any better, I might have an inkling where Fight Island is at this point in time, but I don't have a fight card. The co-main event is Mackie Patolo versus I don't know who is the co-main at the moment. So coconut bombs. All right, kid, we'll get you out of here on that. Have a good week. We'll talk to you uh, next Monday, kid. You got it later, guys. Ian Parker, MMA on social media. Give the kid a follow uh, if you are so inclined. Um, all right, Ray Longo can't be too thrilled with the delayed start time. Let's get to the Ray Longo. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So when you are at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel a touch overwhelmed. Perhaps you're not showing up the way that you would like to. I can certainly relate. You know, there's a phrase in the song, there's no business like show business, and it says there's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. And for me, being in the public eye has been challenging, at least in terms of always projecting happiness when perhaps that's not how I'm feeling. Well, whatever your situation, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws your way. For me, it's imperative that I'm my best self in order to just perform at a high level. And when I don't feel that way, BetterHelp is a great option and a great resource for therapy. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. That gets you matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch out anytime for no additional charge if you're not happy. For me, I'm on the road about 100 nights a year, so being able to connect with someone remotely was absolutely huge for me. And my mindset really candidly has changed for the better. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Florian today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Florian. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Ray Longo now joins us live. Listen, John, John, just just let's go over a couple of ground rules. Don't ever Ah. fucking do that to me again, please. I can't (laughs) listen to that guy. Why'd you do that? 
You gave the guy uh, two seconds. He went on for 15 fucking minutes. He Holy did. He did. Crap. Kenny, no wonder I don't listen to the show. This is why. (laughs) This is why I don't listen to the goddamn show. Yeah, he's like, okay, real quick, Ian, anything anything quick on the way out? He goes for 15 minutes. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Holy crap. If you didn't cut him off, he was not stopping. He wasn't stopping. Hey, you you always lead the show. You always lead the show, but we figured we'd keep you right on the screws. One o'clock. We got your boy Aljo coming up, so things are structured a little bit differently. Um, you're right. I probably shouldn't have given the kid a parting shot. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, listen, John. I don't care about leading the show, being last on the show. Just don't let me. Don't 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 don't, don't, right. don't please okay. don't do that to me again. Come on, right. that was that was well, awful. Uh, all right, for me, next time we'll bridge it. We'll bridge it. And, and, and thank God they didn't turn you around, John, and stick you with the cute tip in the <laughs> I, other hole. Yeah. Holy crow. <laughs> oh, I love you, buddy. So I, I had to call you. I had to call you before the show because I wanted to bounce yes. some stuff off of you. So, uh, you know, one thing that you have brought up with me and you're not the first to bring it up. Um, but was that Tony Ferguson got a worse beating than Anthony Smith and sort of insinuating where's the outcry for Ferguson's corner when everybody is banging on Anthony Smith's corner. Um, you know, I don't like to see anybody take a beating that results in UFC president Dana White, my boss, going over to the bottom of the stairs, as he often does, to check on an athlete. But I do think, yeah. you know, you bring up an interesting point. I guess my counter would be that I think most people felt like Ferguson's body language was more of a man who was really still in that fight, even though he was absorbing a lot of headshots. Uh, yeah, his body language was a guy like, like he always does. He spins around, he, he, he took a beat, man. Either way you look at it, you know, here's the, I mean, first of all, Glover hits hard, Gaethje hits hard, Gaethje hits hard and fast. That's, I think, the difference. I think Anthony Smith at least had his hands up most of the times he was taking those shots. Uh, I mean, Ferguson was taking clean shots, man. It was, it, it was starting to, I mean, you know, look, I guess you have to know your athlete, and I guess, you know, when you you run off 11 straight and you haven't lost, you don't think it's even possible. Maybe that's a problem. And, and with Anthony Smith, you know, he's a big, strong heavyweight. He's got great power. It only takes one shot to turn that fight around. Who knows? But uh, my point was the consistency in attacking one corner and the other corner just goes unnoticed. Like, I, I would, that, that's kind of where I was going. Like, I thought... Right. Right. You know, uh, and I look, we, we know everybody and, and we, I like everybody, you know, so it's, I don't want to like criticize or whatever, but constructively, I thought, I thought Ferguson was getting a really bad beating, man. I really did. I thought those shots were clean. His hands were never near his head, uh, which is normal for him. And, uh, you know, like, again, you, you don't think Ferguson is going to lose. We've seen him in trouble a million times and yeah. he's come back and won the fight. So that, and- that causes a big problem in there. They have faith in their guy's going to pull through. And, uh, you know, same thing, I think, uh, you know, goes to the other the other side. That You know, we know that, that Smith has big power. And, you know, Glover's an older guy. He could always have gassed out. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that go into it. So it's hard to, to criticize. But from calling it, it's just a consistency thing. I think that's where I, I was having the problem. Like, you know, one corner is getting annihilated. And as it was going on, my first inclination was, man, they got, DC's really going hard on these guys with the overcoaching, and then it just seemed to, you know, get worse and worse as time went on. But you know, that's part of the game, man. You gotta, 
if you're in any aspect of this game, you have to be able to accept criticism. And trust me, I know because I get fucking destroyed a lot of times. So it's part of the game, man. I, I don't. I really never took anything personal because it is what it is, and you can't stop people from their opinions. So I don't know if that puts any clarity on anything, but that was my gut feel on that. So we all come at these situations with a different perspective. You know, as I've explained to people over the last 48 hours, I come at this as a, with the perspective of a guy who covered a boxing death in 2005. So maybe I'm a little bit yeah. more sensitive to these situations, Ray. Yeah. Have you ever had to throw in a towel or verbally stop a fight? No, I, you know, look, my, my guys tell me not definitely never to do that. So that's the other thing. You don't know the relationship between right. everybody. But I definitely was under a lot of criticism for uh, Weidman Rockhold that time because he was taken, you know, he took kind of a prolonged, you know, beating. But, again, from my standpoint, Weidman hadn't lost yet. And I, you, I know from the gym he could always come back, so you want to give him the extra chance to do that. It didn't happen in that case. But, you know, at that point, honestly, in my head, I didn't think Weidman was capable of losing. I mean, it was almost – I mean, I'm saying that. I'll get attacked for that too, but you know. But I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you're used to the guy pulling through. You've seen him hit adversity. He's come back, so you give him the extra time. But that extra time in a sport like this, an extra five or ten seconds, is huge. So, you know, would I go back and do that differently? I don't know. But I, I came under criticism for that. But that was my mentality: is that, you know, I really believed in this kid, and I thought he was. He had a good first round, and. I thought he could have turned that around if he got up and, you know, made the, things happen a little differently. Yeah. There are a few fighters I have more respect for on the roster than Alistair Overeem. And the way he handled being the B-side in Walt Harris's return uh, was just so classy, um, so inspiring. You know, Alistair Overeem is a father of daughters. And the way he came over and consoled Walt after the fact, I just I have so much respect for the Ream, you know, because when he came into the UFC, the demolition man. And of course, I've been watching this guy, obviously, since the late 1990s, Ken Flo. But um, I don't know. I just have a lot of respect for the way he handled himself and wanted to get Kenny your thoughts on that fight. And, and Ray, you can follow, you know, um, I w- I've been thinking a lot about that fight. First of all, you know, just seeing the segments on Walt Harris, I, I, you know, out of the five interviews or whatever that they showed over the course of that day. And obviously we kn- we've talked about the story. We followed it. We were, you know, praying for Walt and his family throughout that whole ordeal. Uh, I probably cried three out of the five times just listening yeah. to that dang thing. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. And I can't even imagine the courage just to, get out there and start training and, and get ready for a professional fight. Um, I, I, myself, if I'm Alistair Overeem, I don't take that fight. I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to compete against someone like that. Like my heart is with their family way too much. I, I, you know, like my emotions are with them and I wouldn't be able to do it. And the fact that Overeem was able to do that and then handle it himself the way that he did after taking, you know, a beating from Walt Harris in round one, I thought was really admirable, really classy. Um, he was in a very difficult situation himself, and he couldn't have he couldn't have done anything more perfect, in my opinion. Um, and uh, it, it just the, the whole night, it was just one of those things where you know you had to believe that everyone in that arena was cheering for Walt Harris and wanted him to win. And Overeem must have been aware of that. And I, I thought he just handled it beautifully, man. And um, yeah, just what what a night! It was crazy. Yeah, Ray, what did you think I, about I Walt's gotta tell you, he, he, 
he summed that up pretty pretty damn good, John. And uh, and you know, John, you because if you've ever met Walt Harris, there's not a oh. sweeter, nicer guy around. I mean, you know, I mean, he's always. I don't. I'm not saying I know him well, but any interaction, any hello was so heartfelt and just warm, and you could see that guy's a good guy. And I agree with Kenny, man. I I I I, I cried probably every time I saw that. My heart went out to him. And again, which even makes it, it is, I, I do feel what Kenny's saying, man. If it's, I think I'd let the guy beat the crap out of me. I got to tell you, man, <laughs> yeah, just for the, yeah. just for the greater cause. I mean, I don't know, but Overeem handled that thing. I mean, he just goes up a thousand notches in anybody's book. I mean, it, it, that's such a touchy, touchy thing that, that happened and what we witnessed. I'm just, I'm happy for everybody. I hope. I hope Wolf moves on. He's a great fighter. And then Overeem, man, only the best to that guy because he handled that like a gentleman. And you could see he felt that, you know, it wasn't, oh, you know, yeah. wasn't bullshit. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, oh, let me just, no, he, he felt it, man. It was, it was very, very special. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's emotional, man. And again, congrats to Walt Harris for even making that walk. And I hope it was, you know, was something that that really made him feel better, and you know, you know, he was in there for the right cause. And I just hope he goes on and is able to deal with this as best as possible. Which, John, you know, as a parent, who the heck knows? I mean, that's a that's right. a toughie, man. That's a tough one. And God bless him. And I, I just really wish the best for him and his family. Oh, I love him. I love Walt and his wife Angela, yeah. and uh, I'm excited to see Walt. You know, get this chapter done with right even though it didn't go his way kenny walt as a fighter uh can be really scary i mean not quite in ganu level but there's no denying the tools and had he just had a little bit of a more measured approach maybe a little bit of a higher fight iq in the moment maybe he would have allowed overeem back to his feet and we'd be celebrating a walt harris knockout here yeah absolutely listen i think two things um really affected that fight i think uh, number one, inexperienced, as you said, uh, and number two, emotions. I mean, he had him out up against the cage. Um, I, I think that kick at the end was unnecessary, maybe not the best in shot selection there. But um, again, he's going to learn from this. And again, how about Walt Harris's tweet after the fight? Just, I know, you know, the, the classiness and, you know, the ability to look at himself honestly and look at that fight. I, I mean, how could you not bring emotions into that fight? That's what I was concerned with more than anything else. It looked like he was just out there to kill uh, Overeem. And, and that, you know, everyone thinks, you know, a lot of people who don't fight think that like, oh, man, if you get out there and you get angry, you're going to go out there and beat someone up. No, you know, right. you're not you're not able to think as clearly when, when you're that emotional. And um, I, I think that was, you know, a tough thing for Walt Harris to deal with. That That, that is an extremely difficult for, thing for anyone to deal with coming back like that and relatively quickly. Um, but, uh, a big learning lesson all the way, all the way around. And, um, I, I think Walt Harris showed some improvement in his skill. He was sharp with his boxing, excellent footwork to get in and get out. Um, and uh, I think we're going to see a better Walt Harris next time for sure. Hey, Ray, at one point yes. when I was calling a Justin Gaethje fight, I think what I said on the spot was, have you ever seen anything like Justin Gaethje? And his opponents, and one of our listeners, Chris, chimed in, and I've updated the record since, but opponents' record after fighting Justin Gaethje in the UFC is a combined 4-13. and 13. Cerrone 0-2, wow. Barboza 0-2, Vic 0-3, Poirier 2-1, Eddie Alvarez 2-1. 
but 0-1 in the UFC, and then I think Michael Johnson 2-4. and uh, Ray, have you ever seen anything like Justin Gaethje? I'm getting asked an awfully lot about this guy, and, and he certainly deserves the shine. Well, you know what's crazy, man? Because, uh, look, he definitely showed the ability to maintain his composure like he's never done before in the past. And I think that sounds like nothing, but that's a huge thing because he definitely hits hard. He's accurate. And if he could stop swinging for the fences and just do exactly what Trevor told him, you got to relax. And, you know, it, it, there's a saying I have, I'd rather hit a guy at 50% than miss him at 100% any day of the yeah. week. You know what I mean? So you've got to take something off. You've got to make contact, and then you can load up for the big shots. But he's a, right now he's a very scary individual. He's on a roll. He loves to fight. You could see that when he during his interviews. That's, I don't think there's one ounce of bullshit. I think that guy shoots from the hip. And, uh, man, we haven't even seen him, you know, uh, integrate his wrestling yet, which is scary. I mean, because he's a, a pretty good decorated wrestler. So, uh, I don't know. He's he's on a roll, man. He's, he's, uh, he's looking good. And I'm going to say no. I've never seen anything like that where a guy came in and he's making the adjustments uh, a little later on, which is which is phenomenal for him. You know, John, he, he really reminds me of Robbie Lawler when he came back to get the title at 170 pounds, when he went on that yeah. amazing run and then had those classic fights against Rory McDonald and Carlos Condit and all those crazy fights against Tyron Woodley. Um, you know, I, I think balancing, uh, you know, that aggression and knockout power and emotions is is just that perfect storm for a guy like Gaethje to become a true champion in the sport. Um, clearly, he has the heart. He has the mindset. He's got the skills. But now that he's managing the pacing and he's managing his efficiency uh, and his emotions, this is a guy who... I think matches up really well against uh, a guy like Habib. Uh, you know, I they still have Habib as a favorite for sure, but I mean, Justin Gaethje with that wrestling background could really pose a lot of problems for Habib. And every second that that fight's on the feet, uh, Gaethje can knock him out. So it, it, it gets really interesting moving forward. And uh, Gaethje really is something special, man. Yeah. And then just Ray, uh, while, while we're on that, mentioning Khabib, man, just shout out to him. I hope his dad's doing yes. good. I read that over the week, too, which goes on. Uh, I don't know if we've, we've talked about that yet, but you could see that guy's the patriarch of a lot of families. Yeah. I mean, when we were in Russia, he walks in, it's like uh, John Gotti walking in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you could see he gets a lot of respect and just prayers go out to him because I know this thing yes. sucks. and. Yeah. You know, he's not a he's not a young guy, and I hope he pu he pulls through. I really do because yeah. uh, absolutely you could see they have a special special relationship there too. So, yeah. uh, with that being said, I think Kenny's right with Gaethje, though, man. Gaethje, I'm I, I'm going to say at this stage of the game, I'd pick Gaethje to win that fight. Um, wow. And I know All it's right, way out, but I think he's on. I think he's on a roll, and he's a he's a totally different cat at this point, man. And the wrestling, which is Khabib's biggest thing, if he could stymie that at all and not get tired, that's going to be a that's a long night for the other guy. Well, team elevation right now, front runner for team of the year. Alistair Overeem, Justin Gaethje, Drew Dober with a huge week in Jacksonville. Corey Sandhagen is lurking. Ray Longo's always lurking. Hey, thirty seconds before we let you go, what should I ask Aljo today? I didn't prepare. <laughs> <laughs> Aljo, uh, you could ask him uh, why he wasn't at the hills yesterday with everybody. We, we missed him. 
were you not at the hills? All right, I got it. Hey, thanks for the extended time, buddy. And uh, we will never make you listen to Ian Parker when you're on hold. Of <laughs> Jeez, that, was, dude, that was rough, man. Really, seriously, send over an insurance guy. Send somebody over to Family Life Insurance instead. Anything. All right. All right there uh, he is. Come on, Ray Kenny. Long Kenny, you Unbelievable. Pain, buddy. I'm sorry, Ray. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy, guys. Yeah, I'll take the swab <laughs> up my ass before I do that again. Give me the swab <laughs> in my ass. I'll take that. Seriously. That's a problem. Ray's on fire. Ray's on fire today. Ray Longo making it Man. memorable on our 250th episode today. <laughs> take it easy, guys. I love you guys. I can't wait to see everybody. Oh, take we love you. That's Absolutely. why we brought you on episode one. Don't forget that, Ray. All right, support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from the official electric razor of UFC Manscaped. You ever had an awkward moment where you had to grapple with someone who had like a full bush coming out of their singlet? No? Well, thankfully, Manscaped has everything you need to keep your package nice and tidy. Manscaped truly is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Their top-notch ball trimmer called the Lawnmower 3.0 will keep you clean without nicks and cuts. They've also partnered with top-tier MMA athletes like Max Holloway and Francis Ngannou and many others who understand that not only hygiene matters but also what it takes to be the best. Well, so does this revolutionary company, Manscaped. They have just redesigned the Lawnmower 3.0. It features a great ceramic blade with proprietary skin-safe technology. No accidents once you get a Lawnmower 3.0 in your hand. And for our great listeners and viewers who are men, don't use the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls. Pretty simple. We want to help you get there. Get 20% off with free shipping with the code AF at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. The code is AF. Thank you, Manscaped, for supporting mixed martial arts and its athletes worldwide. All right. Lots still to get to. Of course, it was a big Wednesday night for Glover Teixeira. He's a man. He's 40. But the version that we saw against Anthony Smith might actually be the best version to date. And that is a scary proposition for the rest of the light heavyweight division. Glover, I think, turned pro back in 2002 and really looks primed to potentially make a championship run here. And now joining us. This guy's a legend. I mean, as far as Ken Flo and I are concerned, no doubt about it. Trainer to the stars, trainer to the average man like me on social media. I love those Pitmaster videos. Of course, he was in Glover Teixeira's corner on Wednesday night for that huge win. The Pitmaster, John Hackleman, now joins us live. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, guys. Hear me okay? You yes. sound great. You look great. The terminal fasting is working for you, as are many other things. But you and Ken Flo go way back, and I know he was excited to hear you were going to be on the show today. I I I I love Ken Flo and, and the whole Ben Ben Stiller thing, and <laughs> we get to look guys. Such a it's it's you know what I love, man. I love these guys that are. I mean, they're the the toughest humans in the world, you know. And 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 then they just all of a sudden they can. Which, you know, they got that switch they can flip, and now they're great announcers or great whatever else they do. But, like, he's such a good announcer. It's like he was made for that, but then you watch him in the cage, you would think, they got <laughs> he's like, he's like, <laughs> you know, and he, he's fighting like, a, he's fighting like a warrior. It's like, wasn't that, wait, no. It's, it's really, it's really good to watch that. Like, uh, um, I think, I think uh, DC does that really well, too. Um, and, and, you know, you know, Felder does that really well. And, you know, Bisping, it's like watching these warriors, like, you know, like Ken Flo, uh, Kenny Florian 
And then you watch them, it's like, they're so good at announcing. It's like, that's what they, you know, it's like they were made to do that. But then you, you realize not that long ago, they were kicking the shit out of people in a cage. <laughs> it was like, how did that happen? Like, did you like, did you, did you have to go to school for this or train for this? <laughs> or just normal? Seriously. I, I had a really good partner in John Anik. He, he, this guy yeah. showed me the ropes, showed me how to do things. So that, that, that <laughs> honestly. He's, he's, I mean, he's amazing. Fights, I hardly go to fights anymore. Like, cause I don't have that many fighters. I'm kind of going at the, the twilight of my career and I'm kind of like, I've had enough, but um, watching uh-huh. it, so I watch it now on TV and watching it is so, it's so important who's announcing it. It's so important, you know, and having guy, you know, John with working with, uh, w- when he works with DC or, or, or Michael or, 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 or Joe Rogan and just having those, those guys are either really, really, really good or they suck. And when they suck, it does take away from the fight. Even a great fight isn't as good if you don't have great announcers. And a terrible fight is a little bit better with, with terrible announcers. So they really can make or break the fight. And so, I mean, John Attic is like made to do this. I'm sure I'm sure he'll be doing this forever. Well, I, I, you know I appreciate your support, and there's nothing like getting that pitmaster text after, after a long night on the microphone, and you know I appreciate that. But when I see you at these fight weeks, as I did last Wednesday, and there's no arrogance to you whatsoever, but you do walk around the host hotel like a guy who knows something that maybe the rest of us don't know about your guy, Glover Teixeira, cashing as a plus-160 underdog this weekend, and he looked to be in outstanding shape. I didn't believe that he was properly priced in that range as the underdog, but I mean, he looks great. You obviously deserve a lot of the credit, which you will deflect, but congrats on a huge Wednesday night, my man. I I thank you. Um, Yeah. I've had Glover since his first fight and, and um, I used to make him study his homework because he lived in my, he lived at my house for a long time and and taught at my school. He taught the kids best. I mean, he was such a good kids, uh, a martial arts instructor. Um, but I used to make him for his homework. Hey, coach, I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed. And I go watch Mike Tyson tapes for 10 minutes first. Right. And I said, oh, Mike, Mike Tyson, because <laughs> he had that style. Um, now with that said, um, and then he is a training machine. He loved his training, you know, like the wheelbarrows, the sledgehammer. He was made for that old school stuff that we do in my compound. Um, but now at 40, right, it is a bit much. So he was getting a little like like he did with a couple fights, like with uh, Gustafsson and, and Corey, Corey Anderson. Sometimes it was, it's hard because he's getting a little older, but he still wanted to train super hard. Um, but, but with that new UFC whatever PI thing that they have, like the, the UFC, I can't even tell you how much I love the UFC and Dana White. Um, we've had our ups and downs especially over chuck but he is doing such a good job he's put such a thing together that's i mean just such a brand but that ufc they they train the fighters and you can go there and they have these excellent physical training coaches yeah glover has has taken some of that combined it with the old school pit stuff so now he's doing their workouts plus our workouts and 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 the result is what you saw, um, uh, you know, Wednesday night, as well as he's taken the old school, you know, uh, Mike Tyson 
style that he had, bobbing and weaving and coming in with his, you know, really powerful strikes. And he has, uh, he already has excellent wrestling and jujitsu. We know right. that. But his boxing coach in Connecticut is phenomenal. Yeah. That's where a lot of that head, head movement came. The guy's name is Fernelli, uh, right? Fernelli Feliz. And he, his two sons are heavyweight Golden Glove boxing champions. And that's Glover's top. No, those are his main sparring partners. And he has to get out of the way with them because they are boxing phenoms. Yeah. I mean, one of them's in the Olympic team of a. Yeah, know, Glover he, shouted one of them out, right? Fernelli Feliz Jr., I believe, after the win, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. And they spar with him. So it's like they spar with him, like, like they're teaching him and he's teaching them. And then all of a sudden he'll do a, you know, a takedown and shit. And these guys are boxers, but, but they wow. allow him to do that with him. That's so great. he has best sparring. Then he has Kyle Magalhães, who has fought in the UFC. Um, but he's one of the toughest, strongest, most brutal jujitsu grapplers there is. He's just a brutal guy. He fights at 185, but he's he's powerful. Yeah. So between those two right there, uh, Glover has the best, I think, one of the best training camps. You know, I came in, so I have my part, and, I, I, and I'm not going to say I'm not an influence at all, but right now with his training camp in, in Connecticut, it's, it's like Stipe, you know. They don't have to go to the, the big-time training camps with 180 fighters that all hate each other and there's politics and, right. you know, shit like that. His training camp is, is, is his gym. And you got to remember, Glover Teixeira runs a successful martial arts gym where he teaches Hawaiian Kempo, our system, to kids and adults, okay? He runs a successful fight team. He coaches a, a successful fight team where his fighters fight in Bellator, PFL, and even one's going into the UFC, and he's in charge of that. He's a landlord, right? He's a homeowner, right? right? So, I wow. mean, and he's a UFC fighter, and he's doing all of that at the same time. He is an amazing person, and he's never stopped smiling. So he's That's an amazing, truth. amazing person that, you know, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so lucky to work with, but a lot of what he's coming up with you know, because he was he was self-trained for a while. You know, when he we got when he got exiled to Brazil for a few years. You know, he was self-trained. But when he came back, he was doing okay. But you know, he moved to Connecticut, so I have a hard time. So now, with all the stuff he has going on right now at um in in Connecticut, is I I can't I can't be happier. It's like I'm watching. You don't even need more than that. He doesn't right, need right. He doesn't, need a plethora of, uh, of sparring partners. He doesn't need a cornucopia of fucking different looks. Right. He gets all the different looks because those boxers, they'll give him the different look, right? The only thing is we need to work on his kicks a little more. So I was working on the spinning back kick and you see how quickly he picks shit like that up. Boom, that spinning back kick he landed. You could tell how much that hurt. I'm telling you right now, it really does. <laughs> it's it's probably the most underrated technique in mixed martial arts. It's such a great counter that people don't use enough of, John. It's and it's great to see karate come back. Uh, you know, it, for a lot of the elite fighters, like now people are realizing, like shit, we've been leaving all these amazing techniques on the table. But John, when you were, what's that? They've been bad mouthing. I know. They're working. They're I know. Karate 
and then they get dropped with a spinning back. <laughs> exactly. And Glover picks up. He's such an athlete. Awesome. He, he's like he's like Court McGee. Those two guys are the most conditioned athletes. They come out the fifth round, just as just as ready and just as conditioned as the first round. That was that was a big difference in that fight with Anthony Smith, I think. And, and you know, early on, John, what was going on in your mind, and what did you tell uh, Glover after that first round? Because Anthony Smith looked great after that first round. It, you, I, I know you've been there and done that; you've seen it all. What did you tell uh, Glover after that first round when things started to kind of really turn around for him? I wanted, to, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to trap against the cage more, like not follow, but but cut off the cage more. I want him to start using his, whichever way he's going, use a kick. So I want him to start kicking more with the leg kick or the spinning back kick. Um, and, uh, and, and then, um, and then uh, Bernali wanted more head movement. You got to realize that first round, which he did lose on all three judges, including mine, <laughs> the punches weren't landing like I, I thought they were. Even when I was watching, when I watched it in slow motion, he was riding like Roberto Duran used to. Yeah. He was riding almost all of the punches. Not all of them. A couple of them got in, but not nearly as much as people thought. People thought a lot of them got in, but some did, and he did win the round because he was more he was more aggressive and effective, but not right. as effective as it looked. And that's why Roberto Duran, a lot of people thought he was getting punched more than he was because they ride with the punch. And Glover is doing that great now, and, and that a lot has to do with uh, Fernalito Feliz and his dad. So uh, in terms of the stoppage, right, a lot of us saw a Glover Teixeira who was not slowing down at all. A lot of the masses out there saw opportunities for the corner, if not the referee, to involve themselves and maybe stop the fight. What did you think about the stoppage being in the opposite corner? Um, yeah, you're going to need an extra sip of water for this answer, John. Yeah. Okay. Loop up. Is the corner, as the corner, I didn't think it should be stopped, okay? Because I was watching Glover only. I was worried about Glover. If you guys know, I don't know if you know, like the referees know. Big John knows knows it. He talks about it at, at fighter meetings he used to talk about. It. I stop fights like that. I mean, I stop fights. The towel goes in like you know, a lot of, I could name a lot of them. I don't want to, right. but I stop fights too early. So I'm, the, I'm that guy. And, and I tell my fighters, I, I, I I'm going to stop the fight really early. And if you don't like that, if you want to tough it out, get someone else in your corner, I will throw in the towel. So, but with that said, as, as being in Glover's corner, I'm only worried about Glover and how he's doing. I didn't even notice. I really didn't notice that it should have been stopped or shouldn't have been stopped with um, with Anthony. So I didn't even think about it during the fight like it should have been stopped. Watching it after, right, I would have stopped it. But but you got to realize when, like, not that long ago, Keith Peterson was being, you know, dogged for stopping it too soon. Right. Okay? That was that was crazy. And, and it was really rude, too, saying he smelled like alcohol. But let's right. not talk about that. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but with this fight, I didn't see as much opportunity for the referee to stop it because I see giving him every chance. It's a five-round fight. The corner, um, I would have stopped it in the middle 
the middle part, even before the middle of the third round, I would have thrown in the towel, without right. a doubt. But you got to realize this. Even after I would have stopped it, Anthony was still dangerous, and he actually connected with Glover a couple of times. You, we've all seen people getting the shit kicked out of them and then win in the last 10 seconds with one punch, like uh, what was that? Um, Rose, Rose Namajunas' boyfriend. Yeah, yeah Pat right. Barry in uh, Czech Congo. Congo. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that that fight should have been stopped without a doubt. Right. He had a bad concussion. Right. That's right. the main reason you want to stop a fight, right? A bad concussion. So, but then he won. So when 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 I stop a fight too early, which which I do sometimes, I'm stealing uh, potentially half of my fighter's purse. I'm taking it off off the. It's no more on the table. So I take it off that. And and that and maybe a title shot, maybe you know I, whatever else their pride, I take that away from them, and that's what a trainer does when he stops the fight too early. So I would have stopped the fight without a doubt right. in the middle of the third round. And Glover knows that, Chuck knew that, found that out a few times. Right, uh, right. But it's not that doesn't mean that I'm more of a, a caring coach right. or like I, I have a bigger heart for my fighters. And that's what people say. Okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but I tell you this: I've taken the I've taken the opportunity of some of my fighters. I've taken a win off the table for them prematurely, and I know that for a fact that some of the fights I've stopped, I've stopped, like John Polakowski, buckets of blood. I've stopped a couple of his fights where he could have easily came back and won, but I just don't want to see it. And I I love my guys, and it, it makes me sad. Make me yeah. cry, and I don't want to see them get hit anymore because I go crazy, you know. Yeah, so it's a it. tricky thing. It's a tricky thing because that corner is essentially your family, and I can't yeah. even imagine the conversation. Mark Montoya. Mark Montoya loves his. Mark Montoya loves his guys. You know, he loves no them doubt. just like I do. No he doubt. loves fighters. He's a close knit gym, so like. To say something rude about him and mean is just, is, it makes him feel bad. It makes him sad. Right. It's like, it's just like whatever fucking Dominic was saying to Keith Peterson. That right. hurt his feelings. That right. made Keith Peterson really sad. It was really uncalled for and it made him sad. Yep. You know, and, and, and saying these things about Mark Montoya and printing things, that right. makes Mark sad. Maybe right. he should have stopped the fight, you know, but, but that's between him. And his his family member, who who is Anthony Smith? And the only person that matters to is is Mark Montoya and Anthony Smith. And Anthony Smith is okay was okay with with right. him not stopping it. Right. So it really doesn't matter. It's a moot point. Whoever does think it. Now a lot of times I watch fights and I want the referee to stop it and I'll be yelling at the screen. You know? Right. I'll of be, course. My wife. I hate watching fights. I'm like this. It's like if, as soon as somebody gets hit more than once, I'll just watch something else. I'll go on my computer. I don't want to see it. Of course. You know, I don't want to see another man get punched in the face. I hate it. You know, that's one reason I'm like this in corner. That's why I'm so bad as a corner man. I hate this. I hate that part of this sport. And I wish to God they could change it and people don't get hit in the head anymore. So Mark Montoya maybe should have stopped it. Maybe not. But Anthony doesn't think he should have, and Mark's okay with it. So everybody else's opinion between two family members, I, I don't know. You know, I 
I think well, right. I, I, don't, I don't like it. Right? Well, and that's why they should just take my opinion as one man's opinion. And I love Mark Montoya. And maybe when I say, as I did earlier on the show, that it's an opportunity to affect change, I'm sure he doesn't care about that. He's focused on his athlete and his team. But I'm telling you, John, if there were more high-profile cornermen like you in high-profile situations who threw in a towel, I think in the future, future cornermen and women would have less pause to try to save their fighters. Go ahead, Flo. And, and John, I was going to ask you, you know, you've been around the game for a, for a long time, and I think it, it, this is probably the reason that you, you lean that way. But why is it that you feel you're more willing to stop a fight over maybe the current crop of coaches? And, and I know you don't want to throw anyone down, the, but, but what's the reason for you wanting to, because you've seen the effects of it or, or what? Uh, I think because I've been there and I know how it feels to just get hit in the head and fucking not. You've been a fighter yourself, obviously, as well, yeah. Hearing your mom calling you home for, like, mom's calling you for breakfast in the morning, you know, like, and she's not even there. Or, like, or like sometimes you get hit real, really hard, and and you have a, we call it, you know, I'm a registered nurse, too, and that's that's a terrible thing for a a fighter, a coach to be, because now I have all the knowledge about what's going on every time they get hit, and I was like, oh, shit. And, and, you know, you smell things that aren't there. And just like sometimes when you get a real hit real hard, you smell alcohol on the referee's breath. I mean, it's <laughs> crazy right. Right. you have these hallucinations. <laughs> and it's, it's a terrible thing. And I hate to see. Um, I just hate it. Yeah. Hey, listen, my man. So we got Aljamain Sterling in the queue. I wish we had more time, but you are the best. We got to do a full 60 minutes with you, honestly, because there are a lot of things I want to get to with that. you. So. <laughs> In a couple of weeks, we're going to hit you up, and we're going to do a Hackleman episode. We're going to do a full 60 minutes, but you're the best. Keep it up on social media and uh, any parting shot before we let you fly, bro. I just, I just want to tell you, with, without guys like you out there, you know, both of you guys are, are so good for the sport, and you guys representing the sport like that, as for a, a fan like me, which I love the sport, I just hate when they get hit, um, you're, uh, you make it so much better, so thank you. Well, congrats on a big win. We appreciate you, and we'll do it extendedly soon, my man. There he is, the pitmaster, John Hackleman, with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And it's important insight to get from him, right, because he has a wealth of experience and knowledge, and he presents it in a way um, that I think is digestible. And if you do look at his videos, too, I mean, there's so many of these elite striking coaches, Ken Flo, Henry Hoof, John Hackleman. It's a simplification process, you know? Yeah. And I like that spinning back kick stuff out of you guys. That's what gets me going as a fan when you guys go back on that. So uh, we'll see uh, how the Anthony Smith recovery goes. And, and I do think big picture, he's the guy, right, who stands by his corner, man. And I don't believe Anthony Smith is doing that just for any uh, public appeal because it's the opposite of the stance that maybe some people would like him to take. You know, I said earlier I didn't love to hear him say that he thought Herzog's comment that he should have stopped the fight was cowardly, you know, but I do believe that Anthony Smith, if he could do it again, um, he wants the opportunity to throw what I called cosmetic offense and try to find a way to pull a rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. And again, after a little while, it just, it just wasn't going to happen. He didn't have the conditioning. He was exhausted. Didn't have, you know, those moves in his back pocket to pull off the win against an experienced and tough guy like Glover Teixeira. And, you know, uh, it's already been done, but uh, they should have stopped the fight early. I, I hope, I hope that, you know, those le- later, what, round and a half or so, 
um, doesn't have its effect on Anthony Smith and, and that he could still have the career that he, he, he could have uh, moving forward. And Tony Ferguson is the Terminator, and I'm not sure what his species is, whether he's a human being or not, when I see him dancing in the hospital. And it looks like he's already recovering. The swelling is starting to really dissipate. But, yes, I was more bothered as a fight fan. I know I have a hot microphone, but by the Ferguson thing, I guess, than the Anthony Smith thing, because I think about the long-term damage uh, that Tony Ferguson took in that fight and I think a lot of these guys are victims of their own toughness and uh, again we're going to be having conversations down the line and hopefully those are good conversations 20 and 25 years down the line all right now with us and we apologize for keeping him waiting he's a good man he's the number two ranked UFC bantamweight contender right now Uh, man just looking to prove that he's the best guy in the world at 135 pounds and might just get that opportunity sooner than you think the great (laughs) bunk master Aljamain Sterling is here my man Baby, I'm here, baby. It looks so good. It looks so good. I mean, if I could have bought stock in this guy a few years ago, Ken Flo, if I could have bought stock in Aljamain Sterling, I would have bought, and I wouldn't be selling now with this four-fight winning streak, six of seven. You're looking great, man. How you feeling? Pretty good. We just got a dog pound workout session this morning. We've got another one later tonight. We're crushing, man, getting geared up for June 6th. Hopefully, we could put that on pause and get ready for a title fight instead. So let's start with the wrist then, because uh, I know it was a pretty invasive surgery. I know you went to the UFC PI to really try to dive into the rehabilitation. Where is the wrist and how how satisfied are you with that part of the process now in the rearview mirror? I, I mean, I'm satisfied in terms of the pain. The pain is gone. I don't, to be 100% honest, I don't have full range of motion, which is okay. Um, it's better than what it was before. I actually have grip strength. I can actually hold people now yeah. again. And uh, get takedown. So that's the one relief after, after finally getting this procedure done. But I wish I had got it done a little bit earlier because I think the uh, the range of motion would have been a little bit better had I gotten it right after the Pedro fight instead of um, being told that I might fight Frank Yeager at MSG. You know, so I was willing to put that off and on hold, and I was even willing to fight Peter Yan um, to figure out who the real number one contender was to kind of get ready for Henry Cejudo to come back from his surgery. But I don't know. It seems like the stars kind of aligned for everybody and hopefully better for myself. And yeah. So Aljo, you know, I don't know if there's more clarity or less clarity after the title fight that just happened between Cejudo and Dominic Cruz. But I guess I have two questions. Number one, what did you think of the stoppage? And and number two, um, what do you think is going to happen with Cejudo and the rest of the division? It, it, do you think that's a legitimate re- retirement from Cejudo, or do you think he's going to be able to uh, stay in the UFC? Um, I will say I thought the I thought the stoppage was like right on the border, but I do think Dom was done. Um, he ate about I we counted thirteen unanswered strikes, and I'm not saying they were the biggest bombs, and some of them were kind of glancing. Yeah. But I don't think he was in a bad way when he got hit with that, as Dominic Reyes puts it, a crowhawk. After the knee, um, his whole head planted. It was. It did not look good. I'm not saying he couldn't have rallied back. We would never know. Right. But it w- there was some pretty significant strikes, and it was kind of uh, rem- uh, It kind of reminded me of um, T.J. Dillashaw when he fought Henry Cejudo as well in that right. same position. And the one thing I will give credit for for Cejudo did really well when he had him in the turtle position. He didn't have a tight waist with his right arm and just punched with the left. He took his right hand and he froze. Dominic Cruz's right arm to the mat. So he couldn't do the Granby roll that he normally yeah. does or try to get back to his feet. So him blocking the arm, unloading those strikes, 
it took away Cruz's ability to block the punches and for him to roll out of danger to kind of recover. So Sayudo did a really good job in that position. And um, even though he was he was on his way up when the ref jumped in. So it's really hard to say that Cruz was still in it. I mean, he could have probably landed another three, four punches, and we really don't know what would have happened. I don't know. So that I felt like it was an okay stoppage. You ate that many strikes. You didn't block. You couldn't roll. It's really hard. You, I don't even. I don't know, man. It's one of those things where it's a title fight. I know. I know what he's talking about and giving him every opportunity. Um, but we saw every opportunity against Anthony Smith versus um, Glover Teixeira. And all right, you know. And you know what's uh, interesting too, Aljo, is that Keith Peterson said all he was really looking from Dom was one hand to the face, right? Just show yeah. me that you're trying to block a headshot. And of course his right arm wasn't able to do that, but he was trying to post. And people talk a lot about the referee needing to know how much time's in the round. I do believe it's incumbent upon the athlete. If there's only two seconds, just total desperation, put a hand up, whatever you got to do. He couldn't extend to the third, and here's our reality, you know? I, I agree. When you're in the heat of the moment, the ref's not checking his his wristwatch and going, wait, there's only yeah. four seconds left. Let me see right. if he can survive. It doesn't really work like that. They're on full-on panic mode to make sure they make the right stoppage at the right time. And it's a right. stressful a stressful situation for, for, job, for, for refs. You know, it's not an easy... It's a very unforgiving job. You know, I, I can definitely attest to that. Just watching from the outside, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And um, to answer your other question, I don't know if Sayudo's really retiring. I just started hearing rumblings from Ali saying that he's going to be gearing up to fight in July or the end of the summer, something like that. So I don't know if he's just trying to get extra money. If he's going away, that'd be great for the division. We could start finally getting some normalcy with the best guys fighting the best guys and, and not make this like boxing with the clown fights. And um, give, I'm not saying Dom is a clown, but I'm saying he hasn't fought in just about four years. So for him to not fight in four years and then jump in and think that you deserve a shot coming off of a dominant loss, right? That, that's where, it, for me, kind of it's on that borderline of a clown fight. Yeah, he was the greatest of all time. I think Father Time has passed him on. And um, not taking away from his accomplish- accomplishments in the past, but we're in a different era, baby. Right. You got you got myself. You got Sanhagen. You got Peter Yans. You got the Song Yadong. You got the Marlon Veras. You got Marlon Marais. There's a lot of tough people out there that are looking up to these guys, and we're we're trying to fill those shoes and close that gap from the king with all the rest of the competition. So in terms of the risk, just to go back to that, right? Part of the reason that Dominic Cruz maybe got this fight and you didn't could have been the fact that maybe the timeline wasn't perfect. Couldn't it have been that Cejudo didn't want to fight you, right? That Cejudo, right, felt like you were the most dangerous guy at 135 pounds and maybe that was the reason you didn't get the fight? It could be. I think there's a, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that for Cejudo to take a fight with any one of us young guys. It's the wrestling for me. It's the reach. It's the durability in terms of punishment. And um, I think I'm a fresher guy. I can take the, I can wear the damage a little bit better. I mean, I've been hit, got hit with some bombs from, from uh, Pedro Munoz, and I, you know, not rattled one bit. So I think it's a little bit different when he's cracking these other guys, and he can kind of get them out there a little bit easier. Um, not saying like Marlon, but Marlon's been TKO'd, you know, a couple times, not just the one time against uh, Sayudo. So. I think uh, it's, it's tough to say. I, I hope it wasn't the hand because I told him I was good to go. I threw yeah. my name in the hat. And um, if it was for a title fight, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Even during the coronavirus um, quarantine, that's a risk I'm willing to take. The, the pay is two and a half times the amount that I'm right. getting now. So right. I think financially, I can make that make a lot of sense and a lot of commas. You know, So 
I think it's good though. You know, he got his money fight. He was on a big car with Tony Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. So I think that worked out for him in his favor, and uh, hopefully that's enough for him to ride off into the sunset and never come bother us again. <laughs> well, and and I didn't put it right in terms of the wrist. I guess the better question would be: Do you think that a month later, competing in mid June or late June, that the range of motion in the wrist could be that much better if you get an extra four or five weeks before you fight? Oh, 100%. More, I said the same thing to Sean Shelby. He asked me when I'd be ready to go back in, like, I think the UFC Virginia card. I saw him, and I said, you know what? More time's always going to be best, but I'm good to go now. I was cleared. I'm training. I'm sparring. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing as a high-level athlete. It's just I'm just a little bit limited in terms of the range of motion, but some people are limited with their kicks, you know? So my deficit makes up for someone else's deficit, so it kind of balances itself out. That's the way I kind of look at it. My best me today, the best version of me, versus the best version of you today. So I would have been 100% down to take a fight, and uh, more time is always always better. More time is always better. So in my mind, you are the number one Bantamweight contender, and I say that with all due respect to Marlon Marais, who has the number one next to his name. Um, but I believe on the strength of the Pedro Munoz win, that being your fourth in a row, six of seven, and everything you bring to the table, and it's not because Longo's on the fucking show, I believe you <laughs> to be the most worthy of a championship opportunity. But you have risen to that status right now while there's this COVID-19 backdrop. So what do you do in terms of your training regimen, knowing that not only could you be fighting one of the other best guys in the world here in three weeks, but you might be fighting for a vacant UFC Bantamweight championship in a month? Yeah, it's crazy. It's a lot to take in, man. I tell you what, it's a blessing to, to be in this position. I, I really, truly do feel I worked my ass off to get back here. Um, I, I, you know, I will never stop saying it. You know, A loss like that to Marlon, a devastating knockout, even though I still believe... Personally, it was my fault, my own undoing. And, um, you know, Marlon kind of subtly admitted to that, that that wasn't the exact thing he was looking to do. But that's a career changer, man. There's a lot of people who don't bounce back from that, especially being so young in, in your career. It kind of make you have all these self-doubts. And from there, you can just spiral, up, spiral down with the two, three, four losses in a row and get cut. You know, sometimes it's just two losses. You know, so I'm just glad I've been able to bounce back, keep my head on right and uh i got the right coaches in my corner the good teammates and uh i did the right things you know, after that knockout i took some time off from from tr from sparring and from training and i think when i fought uh brett johns i didn't spar until what was it the last week before the fight or the week and a half before the fight and that was the only sparring i actually did and all i did was rustle i was like you know what i'm gonna rustle i told these guys come after me i want to see where my chin's at and thank god i didn't get hit <laughs> but you know, I just wrestled, you know, I'm just doing the right things, you know, trying to take less damage to the brain, trying to preserve my body, more longevity. And uh, maybe one day I can have a career like you guys in um, color commentating or uh, a successful podcast and doing things like that. And obviously you need your brain and your health intact. And that's one of the things I'm really, really focused on. Like fighting is great. I love it. Trust me. I come from a wrestling background. We used to do this for, for free, cut weight for free week right, after week right. after week. You tell me I can make a couple thousand dollars. I could pay for a couple houses and and right. go take vacations and, and lavish luxurious places. I'm like, sign me up, man. I, I like ah. fighting. You know, so it's all, it's all it's all gravy, man. And I see the proper twelve. You know, there's nothing nothing uh, wrong with having one of those after a, a hard earned fight camp, and especially a hard earned victory. Dude, there are a lot of guys like you and Francis Ngannou that I do believe that with the belt around your waist, you can take that step to superstardom. And you might not even need the belt. I mean, you know if you need a reference for TV, I got that in my back pocket for you any day. Now, you're doing your podcast, The Weekly Scraps, obviously. 
So I know you ingest a lot of this MMA stuff to begin with, but do you find that you're either watching the fight game more analytically than before, um, knowing that you have to talk about it on the other side, or is it just the way you are and, and have always been? Uh, definitely more for the analytical side. And just because I enjoy it, I watch, I'm one of those guys who watches the first prelims to the main event. Um, this is really all I do. This, a little bit of real estate on the side, and right. now I'm kind of working on my green thumb outside in the yard and doing a little bit of handy work. I've really been doing some some stuff. I'm about to start the cabinets hopefully sometime this week. And um, I'm just all about learning, man. Just That's really it. And to just kind of be a sponge. I don't have any other job that's bringing in money. So this is my main focus. Focus on fighting. I can talk about fighting. It's kind of like when I was coaching and when I was rus coaching wrestling, and like right after I was wrestling, I think, Anik, you, uh, uh, Florian, you know, once you go from being the student to now the teacher, you start to understand the philosophies a little bit deeper and you can see it way better. And you get a you get a better understanding of how things work and what positions and kind of just know off the rip, okay, this is what I need to do in comparison to before where you're, sometimes your, your brain just doesn't see it. But when you take a step back, it gives you like that bigger picture and you can understand just breaking down the, the small, minute details that make the situations work a little bit better, especially for MMA, man. We're fighting like it's a game of inches. You know, you, you zigs or zag one way, an inch or a centimeter one way. That could be you on the canvas or you being in a submission, getting tapped and choked out, you know, or your arm even broken. You know, so uh, I think coaching has helped me out a lot. And uh, I think um, watching the fights and breaking it down for the podcast has given me more opportunities to see, okay, what people are doing in different situations. Take those skills and be like, hey, guys, Kobe Covington did this in the fight against Robbie Lola. This is what we're going to work on, this, sing this single leg. We're going to work our strikes into our entry. Once he gets to the cage, we're going to step over the leg. We're going to drive the knee inside. This is going to give us a better position to grab the ankle, scoop it out, and then we're going to foot sweep him and return him to the mat, and then we're going to go from there and start working our transitions. So, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's been a big help. Big, See, big and help. even guys like me can understand what the fuck you just said there. See, and that's the goal, <laughs> right? Simplify. All right, yeah. we got rapid-fire questions here with the great Aljamain Sterling on the way out. So, weapon for weapon, I've said I think you're the most dangerous guy right now at 135 pounds with this presumed-to-be-vacant title. Who do you think is the most dangerous guy in the division? Is that a fair question to ask? <sighs> it's uh, it's you so get one pass, so if you want to pass. Yeah, it's uh, who do I think is the most dangerous guy? Right now, yeah, um, yeah. man, I'm I'm like torn between a, a Pedian and a Marlon Moraes. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick one, I think Jan because he has the cardio durability that we've seen and we've seen Marlon kind of fade in the past. Um, so for my pick, I think it's Pedian. All right, total fights for Aljo in 2020. You're trying to get two in this year. What do you think? I I would love to if I could get one. In June, I, I'm hoping I could fight again in November or December. That would be All ideal. Right. All right. This question, much harder. Over, under, two and a half total kids for you and your lovely girlfriend when that time comes. When, which, when what time comes? To have the kids? I'm saying you have an over, under, two and a half, right? So, uh, and if you say you're having over, meaning you want three children or more. Is it like a time frame on this? or I, No, no time frame. Just how many kids are you going to have? Over under two and a half. I'm gonna go over two and a half. Oh my gosh! Oh. Man, these people, right? That's a warrior right there. I've done nothing but childcare for ten years, so let's talk first. <laughs> At least before you go, run it back a third time. All right, fact or fiction? If you were getting married this weekend, Marab Dwalish Willie gets a slot as a groomsman. Ooh. 
It's a good question, right? It is like you can pass on that probably. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of friends that feel like they probably should be up there. Shot, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I just how wanted. Many you get? How many do you get, by the way? If if I'm Aljamain Sterling, I get as many as you want. Yeah. <laughs> Ken Flo actually had a replacement groomsman the week of his wedding. I, That's did, a I did. Podcast, I, and I didn't get the call as the replacement groomsman. Uh, 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 so, uh, all right, but well, you got time to think about it. But I, I want to start the campaign for Marab at least right now. <laughs> um, other than mixed martial arts or wrestling, what sport were you best at? I mean, if you ask me, if you ask other people, they might say something else. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say basketball. I'm going to say basketball. Basketball. All right. Two more. Um, are you a sports fan at all? Like if you could pick one team to win a pro or college championship, uh, is there any team that you root for? Uh, the New York Giants. But, you know, just with getting fully invested into MMA, it's hard to find that time to train yeah. twice a day, sometimes three, to go watching other sports. I just try to catch the highlights if I can and, yeah. and watch the playoffs. All right, and last question. How old is Raymond Peter Longo, over under 60 years of age? Over. <laughs> he knows the answer. All right, Aljamain Sterling, <laughs> the funk master. We appreciate your time, man, and I uh, sincerely hope you get that championship opportunity. you got 10 UFC wins. You've laid it all down, and uh, I think you're richly deserving. I don't know which way they're going to go, but uh, we appreciate your time and hope that the balls uh, fall your way, kid. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, you guys, for having me. And uh, hopefully we get that crack, man. I'm going to try to seize the opportunity, get paid, and uh, put on a real championship campaign and actually fight the number one contenders, you know? So try to bring it back to making the making the UFC great again. I love it. Right. Stay healthy, dude. Take care of yourself. Yes. There he is, the funk master, Aljamain Sterling. And you hear from a lot of these number one contender types and the champions, they want a meritocracy, right? Justin Gaethje wants to fight the most deserving right. guy. Khabib Nurmagomedov has always carried his championship reign that way. Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, right? I mean, you think Holloway, he could have probably avoided Volkanovsky, but he wanted to fight the number one contender, you know? And Volkanovsky is cut from the same cloth. So I like hearing Aljo say that on the way out. Absolutely. Yeah, they understand, you know, the, the fans know this sport now and, and they want to be truly validated as the champ. They want to earn it. And uh, and they also know they're going to benefit from it. That experience of fighting the best guys is going to get you the respect and it's going to give you the skills as well. All right. Anaclorianpodcast.com. If you do want merchandise, there is a 10 percent off promo code. I believe it's AF on the website as well. MayRockyBJJ.com. If you want to check out Ken Flo's jujitsu school there in the greater Los Angeles area, hopefully they will be opening those doors in the not too distant future. Also, the voicemail line. So next Tuesday, May 26th is Ken Flo's birthday. So. <laughs> 857-301-8994. I'm only picking like two birthday voicemails, and if there's no comedic value, they almost assuredly will not get picked. So leave Ken <laughs> Flo a birthday voicemail, and I'll close the show with this. Oh, you know, I just got a text from Cheeto Vera as we're closing the show, and he said, my man, thanks for the support. And, you know, I just feel bad for men and women who put so much into this and feel like they've done everything right, and then all of a sudden they have to stare at a one-fight losing streak instead of six in a row. So... Cheeto, you got our support. Angela Hill, everybody else, feel for all of you. But uh, live to fight another day. And uh, I guess we'll be back for the birthday week on Monday, kid. You got anything else? That's it, man. No, just thank you for bringing those fights and putting that energy and effort into into what you gave all the fans, man. An amazing job to you and the whole team. And uh, let's keep it going. Let's go. Yeah, love my colleagues, and thanks for the kind words. And with that, thanks to John Hackleman, Ray Longo, Ian Parker, TJ DeSantis, Cody Merrow. Hope I'm not leaving everybody out. 
and flow. I'm John Anik, AnikFlorianPodcast.com. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, yo fucking later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.